we have some uh, flyers for you. These are actually uh, invites. Uh, Reckless Love is our theme for Easter. And uh, we're making these available to you to give to a few hundred of your most intimate friends. And so invite them. These are invite cards that do us no good when Easter comes. These better be gone. All right. We only got 500. So I know there's plenty of that that can be uh, handed out. Also want to, uh, uh, do I have any brothers in the house? Three, four, five. Okay. All right. See, no, I know what happened. You all were busy checking your NC2A bracket. Don't worry. Your bracket's been busted like everybody else's. Don't worry about it. Okay. Just put that away. Listen, let me talk to you for a second on a serious note. We have a series coming up called the Conquer Series. I need every man to say Conquer Series. Y'all did not sound like conquerors when you said that. Wow. Check it out. The Conquer Series is a series done by Ted Roberts. Um, Almost a million men have gone through this. And the purpose of this is to uh, help to expose what's happening in the area of sexual purity in America, in the church, in the lives of men. Listen to me, guys. All right. There is a absolute all out war that is happening for the souls of men and young men in the world, let's talk about America, and in Las Vegas, over sexual purity, all right? Pornography, things beyond that. Listen to me. This is a battle that if we stick our heads in the sand and pretend that it's not very, very real, and and listen to me carefully, the numbers tell us that this is destroying lives, Even at a young age, young men are getting addicted to pornography at younger and younger ages, but it doesn't stop there. Old men as well, all right? So this series, I know this is like a touchy subject, and it's like, man, that's the last place I'm going to go. You're probably sitting there. You might be a little bit nervous right now, but listen, we in the church have to lead a purity uh, revolution, I'm telling you that if we don't lead the way in this, it's not going to come anyplace else. True love waits is a great plan, but you better have the Holy Spirit giving you the strength to overcome this. All right? I was hoping to get an amen there, but that's all right. So, one of these papers, you can fill it out. You can join us. It's only six weeks. It's $20 for a, a workbook that, uh, that we get. Um, and maybe this isn't an area of struggle for you. That's great. But uh, I promise you, you know someone that it is. And uh, I tell you what, uh, we encourage you to bring uh, our young men, um, uh, 15 years old and and up is is okay, because uh, this is starting to happen at a younger and a younger and a younger age. Don and I, Friday, a week and a half ago, did a purity banquet for eighth graders. How many of you wish when you were in the eighth grade, you even knew what purity was? Only a few. Okay, I see what I'm dealing with here. I'll tell you what, when I was in, let's not talk about eighth grade, but you know, ninth, tenth grade and all that stuff, purity, I didn't even know what that word meant. It wasn't even something that we talked about. You want to know where my, where that whole discussion went with me? Yeah, Marvin Gaye. All right, that's all I need to say. That's what I learned. Anyway, some of y'all are like, okay, right on. This is a serious... I know. How many of you just thought your favorite Marvin Gaye song? Yeah, yeah, I knew it. See, I knew it. Yeah, talking about let's get, never mind, never mind. I'm not even going to go there. Um, uh, but it, we, here, here's the thing. Here's why we're doing this, okay? But look at me. We are doing this because we, as the church, want to lead the way in purity. And we're not ashamed to talk about it. And we're not ashamed to be gut-level honest about it and to forge some, some, some you know, it's going to take brothers linking arms together. I'm telling you, this is all-out war. It is. It is. I mean, I couldn't even imagine being 14 or 15 years old and having access to a computer or phone and the Internet and having free reign. It is almost impossible for a young man and some young women not to, not, to, not to have major issues in this area. And it's starting younger and younger. Enough said about that. You can get some flyers back there. Sign up because we need to order the books. And we just want to lead the way. We're not ashamed to talk about it. We are not ashamed to talk about it and, and, and drag this thing out in the light because that's where we're called to live, in the light. 
Amen? All right. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, the gospel, the gospel, um, and what it is. I heard a story about a young preacher that was giving his first sermon, and he was really wanting to have an opening that would grab everyone's attention. And so he went to this, this, uh, this OG preacher, and he said, hey, uh, give me something that'll just really grab everyone's attention and really kind of, uh, and, and, and the old preacher man said, no, I got the perfect one. It works every time. So what you do is, is when you get up there, the first thing you say is some of the best years of my life have been spent in the arms of another man's wife. And then you pause. Pause. And then you say, my mother. He goes, oh. Now he goes, don't forget to pause. That's important. And then he said, and don't forget to tell your wife you're going to share this thing. <clears throat> so the Sunday came, and he's inexperienced, and he's real nervous. He's real nervous. He's, uh, that's his, his first problem is, is he's, uh, he's got the butterflies. And his second problem is he forgot to tell his wife that he was going to share this story. So he cleared his throat, and to the best of his ability, he goes, some of the greatest days of my life I spent in the arms of another man's wife. And his wife, who did not know, was infuriated, got up and rushed the pulpit. And he's like, oh, oh no. And he's, he's, he's like, doesn't know what to do. She's rushing the pulpit, so he stammered and said, and for the life of me, I can't remember who she was. I, I, how many of you would agree with me that pays to remember? <laughs> Paul the Apostle has written to the church in Corinth, and he's writing to them about remembering some things. Um, Corinth was... New Year's Eve, the strip, on steroids. <laughs> there was actually a term for people who were going to do like the Corinthians do. It was called to Corinthianize. Like, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, we're going to Corinthianize. You know, like when people say they're coming to Las Vegas, they do the same thing, right? What are you doing? Going to Vegas. Woo! And we're like, no, don't bring that mess here. Anyway, here it is. We understand. And so he writes to this church about some things that he wants them to remember. And they're a little bit dysfunctional, but they're holding strong, but they got some issues. And so he's reminding them of something. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to read the text or maybe 10 or 11 verses, and we'll break it up a little bit. And our, we're getting ready for Easter. Easter is in a couple of weeks, and um, I, I, I just really, really felt like this was a message that would encourage us to... Tell other people the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and talk about what that is. So Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3 says, For I delivered to you as of, what does it say? First importance, what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, lastly of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Let's all stand, shall we? <clears throat> so, Father, we just thank you for what you've already done in this place. 
It's good to come together and celebrate. It's good to come together and worship. It's good to even laugh a little bit. And Lord, we are not ignorant of those that are in our midst that are just having a rough season of life, struggling in some area financially. Maybe it's with a loved one or some hospital issues. God, we ask that you would strengthen your people and that you would encourage us in this battle to go and be witnesses and to stand firm in the gospel and to endure whatever season of life we're in. Lord, we are here seeking you. I confess that I have nothing of any eternal value to offer at all, but I know your word is eternal. And so, Lord, let your word do something in our hearts today. We want to clean the slate of our heart and hear from you. And we thank you in advance because your word will always accomplish what it's designed to accomplish, even through an imperfect vessel. Your word is perfect. So may it do that. And we thank you in advance in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Give someone a high five and have a seat if you would, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, how many of y'all know the afro is back? Sorry, bro. Man, look at that fro. That is a fro right there. Oh, yes, yes. My brother, power to the people. <laughs> I'm so sorry, man, to put you on blast, but I love that fro, man. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I digress. I digress. <laughs> back to the word. All right. I know he's thinking, that's the last time I come back here, man. Dang. Oh. Prayer blessing on your life, bro. Prayer blessing on your life, seriously. That, 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 that when you open your mouth, God would fill it. And he would, he would fill it with with his words to reach a generation that need to hear from you. Yeah. O- open, open your mouth. Open your mouth and let God fill it. Do that. Let, you, you've been trained. You know God's word is in your heart. Release that. Don't be afraid because the words you speak will not be your own. They'll be his words. Amen. Amen. Verse 1 and 2, the how. Paul the apostle says, remember the gospel I preached to you. Remember. In other places, he says it this way. He says, let me remind you of a few things. Paul had the, had the tendency to, how many of you know we got to be reminded of some things? We, you know, I need, I need reminders. Okay, every day, I need reminders. He goes, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, still on some points I've written to you very boldly and without reservation to remind you about them again because of the grace that was given to me from God. 1 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, for this reason I have sent Timothy to you who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my way of life, my conduct, and my, my precepts for, for godly living. Why does Paul need to remind us? And why does he tell the church in Corinth, um, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. Can I just say that we forget? We get busy with life, stuff, it happens. It's life. And sometimes we have to take that time to remind ourselves of God's precepts. In this particular case, the gospel. Um, it's a good thing to have time with God, uninterrupted time, you know, where you turn off your push notifications so you're not finding out that a number one seed lost, you know, your back bracket got busted. It's a good. It's a good thing to just set all that stuff aside and just have quiet with God, whatever that looks like for you. He's reminding them about the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. Now, in, in, in general, gospel could be anything that was good news. It could be anything that was good news. But, but in particular, the gospel is the good news of the kingdom of God among us and within us, of God sending his son, Jesus Christ, to live, to die on a cross, and to raise from the dead, um, that we 
might have a relationship with God, that the bridge from where we are uh, to where the, the, the distance between where we are and where God is would be bridged. That's the good news. I want to ask you, is there any other news that's better than that? Now, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, you go, that's the greatest news ever. Some, maybe you're just searching, seeking, or returning back to the Lord. And that's okay. You're in a safe place. We think this is the best news you could probably, that you could tell anybody. And it's very important news. Because in the Bible, in the Gospels, that seems to be the message that was going forth all over the place. Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 says, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the what? The gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Mark 1.15 says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of John the Baptist and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in what? The gospel. So the message of the disciples, it says in Luke 9, and they departed and went through the villages preaching what? The gospel and healing everywhere. Over into the book of Acts, the same thing, Acts chapter 8, 25, and when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Acts chapter 8, verse 40, Philip the evangelist found himself in Aztus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel in all the towns. Acts chapter 20, verse 24 says, but I, Paul the Apostle speaking, but I, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. And this was his whole purpose, vision. You know, I mean, think about what my life, I don't, I don't account my life as, as um, uh, of any value. It doesn't mean he, he didn't value himself. He just says that, I, you know, whether I live or whether I die, whether I'm persecuted, whether I take beatings for this gospel, I don't account that for anything uh, of any value if only I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ. What was the ministry that Paul the Apostle received from the Lord? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So the gospel is pretty important. And it's a message that we need to be sharing with others. And Paul tells us in the scripture reading in 1 Corinthians 15, after, as he reminds them five things about the gospel. First of all, we learn... That the gospel has to be preached. Everybody say preach. Romans chapter 10 says this, verse 14. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. And so that's something that is a mandate for the church to do, to tell the good news of the gospel. And when I say church, like whose responsibility is it to share the gospel? Well, you have, you know, pastors and maybe teachers and certainly missionary, those with the apostolic gift. They're called to go and to preach the gospel, right? Um, anyone else that you can think of? Huh? You're pointing at your wife, sir. Excuse me. Yeah. Oh, no. You're saying both of us. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it turns out that this is a mandate that all of us have. Every one of us have the mandate to preach the gospel. Whose job is it? All of our job. 80% of Christians who attend church once a month or more know they have the responsibility to share their faith. Yet in one poll, 61% of them haven't told a person how to become a Christian in the previous six months. This is the greatest news that anyone could possibly hear. Remember the man that needed a healing? His friends lowered him down from the rooftop. The packed house, they can't even get in. And they, they lower this man, they, they rip open the roof, and they, <laughs> that had to be... 
talk about a sermon in or excuse me we're trying to have church here yeah and this these friends were committed to getting their friends to jesus they lower him down and and his need is obvious because he he's a a paralegic um and jesus says your sins are forgiven and i'm thinking i don't know this to be true his thought is okay that's cool but can you heal my body? But the point, I, I don't, it doesn't say that. I don't want to read into it. I don't, I, I don't, I don't. But, but here's the thing is that Jesus dealt with the most important issue. It's like, it's like the, the, the young lady that I talked to, you know, 99 cent store is a wonderful place of ministry. <laughs> This one, I don't know about the others. I don't know about the one in Summerlin, but this one I'm here on Cheyenne Rancho. You want to minister? Just go out, hang out. You'll be ministering all day long. And I'm sharing Christ with this young lady, and she wants $20. And I said, you don't need $20. That is not your issue. That $20 is not going to help you. It's not. It's going to further this path that you're already, that's not helping you. Oh, well, that's, but that's what I need. I go, that's not what you need. It's not. Because there's a bigger issue. And the issue is the gospel and what you've done with it. But it must be preached. And it's all of our jobs to do it. Now, listen, you have influence. You have an inner circle. Uh, you, have, you have those around you somehow. Everyone does it differently. Uh, and there's no one way to preach the gospel. But we all have a responsibility to do that. Start with those closest to you, and I'm going to ask you a question. If you've not done that, why haven't you? Why haven't you? This is the greatest news that anyone could ever hear. Why have we not shared that? At Living Grace, we believe everyone's a servant leader, everyone. We also believe that everyone's an evangelist. Yeah, because it's our responsibility. So start with those closest to you. Friends, co-workers, family, okay, I get it. But there's, there's, there's those, and everybody shares the gospel differently. But we have a mandate to do that. So first of all, the gospel has to be preached. How can they know if no one goes and no one goes and tells them? Secondly, it has to be received. Because the gospel are words that are just words if it's not received. How many of you remember the day that you received the gospel and you believed? Remember that time. Some of you have that experience. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it, uh, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So it's, it's to be received. John 6, Jesus says that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And so here's the, the good news is that the responsibility of someone receiving the gospel is not yours. Because we get caught up in that. Boy, I used to get all weirded out and angry when people didn't receive my testimony. You know, I'm sharing the word and they're like, I don't know, bro, it's not for me. What's wrong with you, man? Can you, how can you not, right? Yeah, now because I'm on the other side, now I get it. But, you know, a couple years later, I was on the outside not getting it. And I probably would have said the same thing. Yeah, that's called being a Pharisee and being judgmental. And I had to deal with that. The Holy Spirit said, whoa, whoa, it is not your responsibility to bring anyone into the kingdom. That's a sovereign work of God. Your job is to speak the truth in love. Your job is to preach the gospel. That's all you got. But it says in John 6 that you can't come to Jesus unless the Father draws you. So it's a supernatural thing that God does behind the scenes. And just when you think someone is no way they're ever going to come to God or no way will they ever come back to God, you have no idea what God's doing behind the scenes. And so we preach the, the, the gospel with love and with grace not forgetting or uh, that at one point we did not believe, maybe. Maybe some of you grew up in church, so you've always believed. 
but, but we preach it with love and with grace, but we preach the truth because we understand that it's between them and God, right? It's between them and God. So the gospel is received. Question, have you received the gospel? Have you received the gospel? Next, we stand in the gospel, he says. We stand still. We, we set. We establish ourselves. Despite the problems, the carnality, the, 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 the misunderstandings, the strife, the divisions, and all the issues that the church in Corinth had, they were still standing in the gospel, standing strong in the gospel. Their, their feet were, 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 were established in the gospel. So the gospel has to be preached. It has to be received. Then we stand in the gospel. Next, Paul says that we are being saved by the gospel. The Amplified Bible puts it this way, by this faith, you are saved. That is reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for his purpose. So the gospel has, is something that we believe in, and as we continue to believe and grow in it, we continue in that relationship with Lord. We, we are continually being saved. It's not that we have to give our life to Jesus all over again, but there's, there's a renewal and a, and, a, and, a, and a regeneration that's happening all the time. Then we hold on to the gospel. Hold on. Hold on to the gospel. And let me just tell you that when I read Paul the Apostle saying that we have to hold on to it, that makes me think that there are those forces or people or situation that would try to try to drag the gospel from us. Maybe it's a situation in our life that turned us and we got so heartbroken or angry at God that, that we, we let go of the gospel. Uh, uh, maybe it was someone in our life who said that they were a Christian and they were supposed to treat us in a Christ-like way and they didn't. And so we let go of the gospel and we said, well, if that's what God is like, I don't want anything to do with them because we've confused who God is versus an imperfect person who did not love us or treat us the way that they should have. And we let go. See, if Paul says, hang on to the gospel, that makes me think that there are forces and things and situations that would cause us to let go of the gospel or say, you know, I'm done with God and I'm done with his church. I'm done with those people. Paul says, hold on, hold on. The Corinthians believed and they received the gospel. They were standing in the gospel, but he encourages them, continue to do well. Oh, how how important uh, is it for us not to just look back at what God has done in times when we were holding on to the gospel, but to hold on to him today. And by God's grace, I'm going to hold on today, Lord. I ain't worried about tomorrow because I know you're going to meet me tomorrow. So that's the beauty of serving a God who's outside of time. He sees the big picture because he created the picture and he created time. And so he sees the past as equal as he sees the present, as equal as he sees the future. And so I know that you're going to meet me today, God, because you say you will. And I can't do this without you. And then secondly, I know that you're going to meet me tomorrow. So I'm going to worry about tomorrow when tomorrow comes, but it's going to be grace sufficient for tomorrow. Can you say amen to that? The Amplified Bible says, If you hold firmly to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, which means just superficially and without complete commitment, he says, hold on to the gospel. Hold on. Church, hold on. You're not always going to feel it. There's going to be days where you, you have questions. Hold on. Don't let anyone take you away from the gospel. Don't let any one circumstance in life, no matter how hard it is, and I can't even imagine, some of you may say, you don't know my situation, Pastor, and that might be true, but hold on to the gospel. Hold on. Now we switch gears and we're going to finish in verses 3 through 7. And this is, the first is the how, this is the what. The first is, 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 is the five things that we're to do with the gospel. And then this is, this is, the, this is the what. And it, it, it also answers some of the why too. It turns out Easter's for everybody. You know that? Not just us. It's for everybody. 
What a great way to uh, start a conversation about the Lord. Say, hey, you celebrating Easter? Nope. Why not? <laughs> you never know. Verse 3 through 7 says, again, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, to the twelve, more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also, or he appeared also to me. Paul the Apostle says. All right. So Paul says, here we go. I gave to you, I delivered to you that which was of first importance. First importance. The main thing, Paul says, this message of the gospel is the most important message that any Christian will ever share with anybody. It's the main thing. It's the most important thing. And he says, I delivered to you, which I also received. Because remember, you have to receive the gospel. Even Paul the Apostle did that. And no, it's not his gospel. Paul didn't make this up and say, well, let me see if I kind of structure it, if I write about this and I put this together, it'll all make sense. No, Paul says, listen, this is not my gospel. It's the gospel that I received. Some people believe, well, the Bible can't be trusted because it was written by man. And that's a reasonable question, because it was written by man. Although there are a few instances where God literally wrote it, like the Ten Commandments, but, you know, he literally wrote it. But man was the instrument through which God spoke or wrote through. And it tells us this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed. Theos. Nusto, or Theonustos, God breathed, uh, given by divine inspiration. It's profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error and restoration to obedience, for training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage, so that a man of God may be complete and proficient outfitted, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed by God. In other words, God's the author of the Bible. And you, when you look at the Bible compared to other ancient literature books, if you want to call it that, there's a bit of a difference. For example, the Bible was written over 1,600 years, over 60 generations, with more than 40 different authors, in three different countries or continents, in three different languages, in different times, in different seasons, during times of war, during times of peace, during times of economic prosperity or economic lack. It was written by those who were kings and priests and those who were farmers and prophets. And yet, it all speaks to one united voice. The Bible is unique in its continuity. It's unique in its circulation because there's never been any book that even comes remotely close to the number of copies, languages, uh, and, and books that were published. Remember, the Bible was the first book ever written, published, literally, literally right? It's unique in that it has survived the, the, the ravages of time, manual transmission, textual criticism, and a lot of smart people that have tried to prove that the Bible was wrong. Uh, 303 A.D., Emperor Diocletian thought he had destroyed every Bible in the land, and he built a statue over the embers of what he believed was the last Bible that wrote, Extinct is the name of Christian. Twenty years later, Emperor Constantine offered a reward for anybody who had a Bible and within 24 hours, he had 50 copies. <laughs> People were lining up for that reward. I got one. Me too. I got one. 50. The Bible withstands all of that, unlike any other book. 
One of the things that is unique about the Bible is it tells me the truth about me. What other ancient book speaks of the depravity of heart? Speaks of the sinful nature of mankind? Speaks of there only being one way to God through the sinless one Jesus? What other books tells, tells the truth about their prophets and their kings, the apostles, warts and all? King David, a man after God's own heart, arguably the greatest songwriter, king, military leader, man after God's own heart that had a moral failure that the average Joe on the street knows who Bathsheba is. (laughs) I mean, come on. The Bible tells the truth about man. And I love that because you know what? That's what I need to hear. I don't need some book building me up, telling me how great I am. I need a book that tells me, listen, son, you've lost it, you've missed it, and you need God, and you need a Savior. I get that. That resonates with me. First importance, he says, and here's the gospel message. We're winding down. I'm going to tell people this. You want to take notes? Here it is. Christ died for our sins. Number one, that's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. I mean, think about this. Jesus came and died. But why did he have to be crucified? Why did it have to be so grotesque? Why did it have to be so bad? All God required was a sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Jesus had to die. Why did it have to be the way that it was? The crucifixion itself and everything that led up to it. I mean, after the scourging, if Jesus would have walked into any emergency room in America, it would have been considered a grotesque thing. What happened to this man? And that was before the crucifixion happened. He was already critically in critical condition before the cross. Christ died for our sins. Why is it when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished? And he breathed his last. Why? What was finished? Here's what was finished. You and I are not perfect. None of us are. It's a level playing field. We tend to say people are more holy than others. God doesn't do that because we're all the same. We're all sinners. We're all messed up people in a messed up world. That's the truth. And here's what he says. He says, you can't come into my presence because I cannot have sin in my presence. That's my problem. I'm a sinner. Doesn't matter how much I've sinned. Doesn't matter if it's more than you have or less than you have. I'm a sinner. And therefore, I can't go to heaven. Okay? That's not good news. But when Jesus said it is finished, the perfect Jesus, who never sinned in word, thought, or deed, lives a life that I can't live, dies a death, that I can't die, and then raises to life to prove that he is indeed God's son and that hell and death and the grave have no more hold and that the hold of sin is broken and therefore I can go be with God. So Jesus, when he died, says it's finished because the ransom sacrifice, the perfect life for sinless mankind has just died and it's been paid. The wrath of God, instead of being poured out on me because of my sinful nature, it was poured out on him on that cross. And he said, it is finished. It says that he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. There's 332 distinct predictions regarding the Messiah, which Jesus fulfilled perfectly 322 things that you cannot control like the city that you're born in like how he would be a refugee coming from egypt like how he would die on a cross and like how he would raise from the dead oh and he would be born of a woman who was a virgin you can't control those things those supernatural things christ died for our sins this is a gospel message it's important to note that christ was buried He died as a human, 
the God-man, he was buried. And you know that the religious leaders of that day did everything in their power to keep him in that tomb. Because here's the reality, is that if the apostles are saying Christ is going to rise from the dead and he doesn't, Christianity's over. We're not having church. And I would submit to you that if Christ hadn't come and lived and died and rose from the dead and created this whole, this whole world of people who are following him and loving him and forgiving, and that the, I don't know that the world would have made it. 322 distinct predictions. He was buried. But then he was raised on the third day, and it says in accordance with the Scriptures, because that was predicted too. And then he appeared. Hallelujah. He appeared. And just to sway the evidence, here's how God rolls. He appeared to Cephas, also known as Peter. You remember Peter. Peter was the one who ran for his life and denied him three times with profanity. That Peter appeared to him. He appeared to the twelve. And then he appeared to 500 people all at the same time. And then Paul says, many of them are still alive. You can go ask them. And they all saw him at once. 500 people. Do you know how long that would take on the witness stand? Would you not stop after like 10? <laughs> okay, you know what? The rest of you can go home. <laughs> 500. If that's not enough, he appeared to James, his brother, because you got to understand that, you know, Jesus, big bro, James, younger brother, probably had a little bit of that big bro, little bro thing going on, and James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah at first. Isn't that funny? He appears to James, he appears to the apostle, to the apostles, and then Paul says this, and lastly, he appears to me. He appears to me. Lastly. And I would not add to that, but I would say this, Paul, and he appeared to me. He appeared to me. No, not literally. 1987, at church, Sunday night, packed house. An evangelist was in the house. I did not know anything about evangelists other than Billy Graham. I had never seen him, but I knew about him. I mean, who didn't know about Billy Graham? Wow. And I went to church. It was packed. I... I just wanted to hear the word. I didn't want to hear no evangelist. <laughs> and I, I, I show up, and I'm like, oh, okay, who's this guy? Mario Murillo. I'm going, who's Mario Murillo? I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, you know what? Nah, man, I, uh, okay, you know what? I'm here, drove across town to get here. I might as well stay. And, um, and that's the night I gave my life to Christ. I'll tell you how long ago it was. I still have the cassette tape. I have it. And I listen to it from time to time, borrowing my kid's cassette player. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know, so I can remind myself. <laughs> he appeared to me. He appeared to me. That's the whole Easter message for me. It's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared. And down the line, 2,000 years later, he appeared to me. The story is told about a priest in the Philippines who um, carried a, a secret about a sin that he had committed when he was in his seminary years. And there's a woman at his church who had um, claimed to have visions and speak to Jesus. And this priest uh, was a little bit skeptical about this. And, and so he says to this woman, he says, okay, if you hear from Jesus like that, then why don't you ask Jesus what I did when I was in seminary? And let me know what he says. Because you see, he still carried the guilt of that sin, even though he knew he was forgiven. And she goes, all right, I'll go and I'll pray. And she went and prayed. And after a few days, he came back to her and he says, well, did Jesus visit you in your dreams? She said, yes, he did. And he said, well, did he tell you what I did when I was in seminary? And she said, yes, he did. And he said, well, what did he say? And she answered, he said, I don't remember. 
You have to understand something. There's a, word, a theological word called omniscience. And that means that God knows everything. See, he knows the beginning from the end. He knows the deepest, darkest, darkest secrets of the stars. He knows what he knows everything about everything. And yet, the last part of the gospel message is not that my sins and failures and mess-ups in the past never happened, because they did, and there are consequences for that. There are. But when it comes to our past and our sins and our failures, as the old preacher of the gospel, Corey Ten Boom, a Holocaust survivor, used to say, God, place your sins in the sea of forgetfulness. And then he hangs up a sign that says, no fishing allowed. That's the gospel. Have you received the gospel? I want to pray for you, and we are going to take a missions offering today. I neglected to mention that earlier, I think, that to give to some missionaries that we support, and um, we are waiting to hear back from a missionary in South Sudan who is living there and working there. She's a force for a missionary, and her vision is to raise up the next generation of leaders in Sudan, which is exactly what we want to do. We want to strike while the iron is hot and raise up church planters and missionaries from Sudan that are native to Sudan to go and reach their people with the gospel while we can. And so as you give, the money that you give will be given to missionaries in China and in uh, the Statums and Georgia and raising up missionaries and um, Foursquare disaster relief, and as soon as we connect with this missionary in Sudan, it'll be going to that too. This is where that money goes to, and so if I have the ushers come forward, guys, go ahead and take this offering, and let us go ahead and um, just when you grab the bags, go ahead and pass them out. And while they're doing that, I just want to pray uh, for you, and um, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus, if you've never done that. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, these people who are serving worldwide. Thank you that we can live in Las Vegas and make a difference on the other side of the globe. We pray you take these finances and multiply them for the furtherance of your kingdom. And Lord, I just pray for this moment in time. This is a kairos moment. We know that in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, 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 a chronos moment, which is a, a, a time of day. It's, it's 9 o'clock or 8.30. It's, it's, a, it's a wall clock. But we also know there's a kairos moment. It's a moment when you're, you're speaking and you're passing by. It's a God-ordained moment. What we believe today is one of those days that's God-ordained. That you have, in your grace and infinite love, so seen it to gather us together in this place. And that everybody's here according to your timetable. And so that maybe there might be those, Lord, that might need to receive the gospel. Maybe there might be those that need to hold on. Maybe they've let go, but today, because of your working in their heart, they would say, God, I'm, I'm back. And though I may have left you, God, you never left me. So I say, here am I, Lord yours. We understand that you can't do that except God draw you. And if the Lord has drawn you, 
into this place that you would receive the gospel or you would return. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you as our, 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 our church is praying, been praying for you. Is anybody that would say, yes, I just want to give you that opportunity if you've never done it before? Anyone at all that would say yes to the Lord or maybe even you're coming back? Is there anybody who would say, yeah, that's me? Amen, sister. Yes, right on. Anybody else? Say, I'm coming back, Lord. I'm back. I see that hand. All right. God, we just love you and thank you for this Kairos moment. You visited us, Lord. Now, as we walk out the doors, may we be different. May we be different. And may we go tell the good news of the gospel to those that you bring to us. We thank you, O God. We love you. We give you all the praise and all the honor for you alone are worthy to receive it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. And everyone said, amen. Will you give the Lord a hand clap? Hallelujah. God is good. Ah. Before you go, back in the back, if you're visiting us, you're a guest Thank you for being here with us today. Uh, We have something for you that we'd like to give you. We're going to ask you to fill out some information so we can connect with you. It's inside your bulletin, but we have some cards back there as well because it's really, really important that we get a chance to connect with you. So if you'd go back there and also, if you want to know more about a personal relationship with Christ, back at that table, there's Bibles and some books and some things that will get you started on your journey. Grab a couple of these on your way out. Give them to a few hundred of your most intimate friends. Men, Conqueror Series, sign up. Don't play, don't play, sign up. And we have some, some of those back in the back as well, and you can sign it and give it back to them, and we'll uh, get you a book ordered and get you connected. God bless. Have a great week in Jesus. Go tell somebody the good news.